We're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We've been thinking about those who were witnesses to Jesus on the cross, those who kept watch over him there. We saw the women who loved Jesus, who saw where he was laid in the tomb, and then we heard the angel say to the women, come see the place where they laid him. And there's something for us to see as well. In fact, I would argue that what we see with the, the eyes of our mind and heart is crucial when it comes to living this Christian life. My parents remind me of that when I'm driving. They say, Dad, watch the road. But living up by Conestoga Lake, we see deer and we've been seeing turkeys and the osprey have come back. And uh, it's, it's actually hard to drive when you're looking up at the osprey nest up there and seeing, you know, do they have a fish? So my kids are right. Yeah, I'd watch the road. Uh, I remember listening to my grandfather who grew up during the Great Depression who farmed as a boy with horses. And I had all kinds of questions for him. What was that like and how did you do that? And he, I remember him telling me once that when you plowed with horses, you had to keep uh, a spot on the other side of the field in view and you, you kept watching that and you kept the horses going straight toward that object. I found the same to be true in my own life as a young man seeking to overcome struggles with depression and anxiety and being taught by Christian counselors that what I thought about and what I focused on in my mind and heart was going to p play a huge uh, part in overcoming that struggle and that's been so true. It's exactly what scripture says, that whatever things are true and noble and right, we are to think on these things. This is the message of scripture and this is the message we're gonna see in these three verses at the start of Hebrews chapter 12. So look at those verses with me in your Bibles. The writer says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's referring to all of those characters from the previous chapter who had great faith he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So here it is in scripture, a command, a teaching for us that we too need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now that's an interesting to say to people, thing to say to someone who's never actually seen Jesus. But we certainly see him through our eyes of faith. And that's why we remember the Lord in communion and that's why on Resurrection Sunday we wanna think deeply about Christ and all that he's done for us. It's an interesting phrase here in verse two where the writer says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. It's actually one Greek word that's being translated here. It's a compound word. It's made up of two parts. The first part means to see, so that makes sense. But the other word that's being translated here means away from. See away from. Which is interesting, right? Because if we're to fixate on one thing, What's harder, to focus on that thing or to not be distracted by all the other things that we could look at? And if you've been a Christian, a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you know that the hardest part, one of the hardest parts of the Christian life is to not be distracted 
by all the other things. Many of us come here on Sunday, even Easter Sunday, I'm sure some of us are here this morning with distractions. There's a ham in the oven. How long is this sermon going to be? Or you've come with pain, with discouragement, with circumstances. Some in our congregation have lost a loved one this week. There's all kinds of things that can uh, get our eyes and our minds off Jesus, but the writer here says, fix your eyes. Stop looking at anything else. Look away from all other things and look at just one thing, Jesus. That's a theme that we find throughout the scriptures. It reminds me of the songwriter famous psalm, Psalm 27, my grandfather's favorite verse where it says, one thing have I desired and one thing will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to inquire in his temple and to gaze on his beauty. One thing. The Psalms talk about us having an undivided heart, which is so much of our struggle in, in our day, in our culture, in our materialism, that we see more, thing than, more things than one. But here scripture says, see one thing. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on nothing but him. Now, of course, we know we have to live our lives. We've got to take out the garbage. We've got to do the dishes. We've got to do our job. But as we do all those things in our mind's eye, the thing that we're focused on is Jesus himself. Verse 1 actually shows us a little bit of how we might do that. It says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Why do we have things in our life that hinder us and trip us up? Why do we have sins that entangle us? In part, it's because we've allowed our hearts to fixate and focus on something other than Jesus. So we need to do this this morning and every day. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Have you found that to be true? I have found it to be so true that the more I think about Christ, the more like him I become. Scripture teaches this principle, but I've found this to be true. I went through a period uh, as I came through in my early 20s, that time of depression, I came through a period where I was really amazed by the Gospels and just spent a lot of time reading them and kind of thinking about what was it like to be there to see Jesus do these things and just, just found myself fascinated by Jesus, which is what I'm always supposed to be. But it was a period of time in my life where it was particularly true and it's so much easier to walk in his ways when our minds and hearts are filled with thoughts of him. Why? Why do we need to fix our eyes on Jesus? I see three things in these few verses here that, uh, that help us understand why this is so important. And here's the first one. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the one who's marked out our path. Did you notice that at the end of verse one? Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I wonder if there's anyone who has read that verse and thought, okay, well, what race? And where are the markings? Where's the road signs? Sometimes we find ourselves wondering, like, what is it that I'm actually supposed to do with my life? But here we find that the race has already been marked out for us. I had a very brief and unsuccessful career as a cross-country runner in, in school. And I remember one race on a golf course where uh, every time you came around a corner or down through a gully, you'd come up and they'd have some volunteer there with, you know, pointing the way or with a sign so that you knew which way to go. 
And we have that in the Christian life. The Christian life has been marked out for us, and it's been marked out for us, yes, by Jesus. So we keep our eyes on him so that we know which way we are to go. Because being a Christ follower, can you imagine what it, what it means? It means that we follow in his footsteps. We take the same path, the same journey. We walk in the same way. We do the same things. The Bible says that we as the people of God are the body of Christ. And of course we know that that means that we're all unified. We're all different parts of that body. But it also tells us that we are to do the things that Jesus did. We're his hands and his feet. We're his mouth. We're his eyes. We're his ears. So we walk in his ways. He's already marked out the life of faith. He's shown us what it looks like. And that's why it's so important for us to read the Gospels and read about Jesus and wrestle with what does it look like for me to live this life here, now, in Elmira, in, in Drayton, where I live in this point in time. What does it mean to live as Jesus? Notice in verse 2 it says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the pioneer, it says in the NIV, and perfecter of faith. He's the pioneer. He's the forerunner. He's the trailblazer. He's the one at the very start of the race. That's what that means. He's gone before us, and so we walk in his ways. Isn't it encouraging to know that we can never go anywhere in our walk with Jesus where he hasn't already gone and where he won't be with us? We can't suffer anything in the Christian life that he hasn't already suffered, and so we follow him. We keep our eyes on Jesus because he's the one that marks out our path. If we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, we don't know which way to go, we don't know how to live, and we won't faithfully follow in his ways. And so we keep our eyes fixed on him. That's the first reason. There's another reason where we, why we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and that is because the Christian life is not easy. Notice it says at the end of verse one, we're to run this race with perseverance. Now, if you've ever done long distance running or any kind of running, perseverance is part of what you sign up for. Because at some point, even if it's a sprint, you're going to feel winded. You're gonna, your legs are going to begin to hurt. You're going to feel like stopping and giving up. But in the Christian life, we have to have perseverance. The word race here is a Greek word, agon. I'm not much of a Greek scholar, but I know an English word that's come from that Greek word. It's the word agony. And that's the word that the Greeks used for races or for wrestling matches. They had something like the Olympic Games back uh, in those days, and these competitions were called agon. And it was. It was just that. It was, it was fierce competition. It was painful. It was difficult. It was a struggle. And that's the way the Christian life is described. We're running this race. It's difficult. We're going to need to persevere. We're going to find in the context here that there's also opposition. So he says in verse 3 that we should consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In the Christian life, there's opposition. There's opposition from the world. There's opposition from the devil. And I, I would argue in my own life, so often it's opposition from myself, from my laziness, from my selfishness, from, from being uh, misguided and unfocused on the things of God. 
Christian life is not easy. And we are always in danger of losing heart. We are always in danger of losing heart. It's a warning that we find in other parts of Scripture as well. Don't lose heart. Ask yourself, as we come here this morning to celebrate the resurrection, do we come with hearts full, hearts on fire, with a desire to serve Jesus Christ, to be like him? Or is the reality for us that there was a time when we were far more committed to Jesus, far more interested in knowing him, far more interested in serving him, far more interested in telling others about him? What's happened? Is it possible that we have lost heart? That the discouragements and the challenges of the Christian life have undermined our zeal for Christ? Why do we need to fix our eyes on Jesus? Because when it gets hard, when the road is rough, when we feel like giving up, we look at Jesus and we see him relentlessly facing the cross and doing all that God called him to do, doing it for us out of his grace and love and then saying to us, follow me. Follow me. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Follow me. I am with you always to the end of the age. Follow me. Keep your eyes on Jesus so that you will not lose heart. So why do we look at Jesus? Why do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Number one, he's marked out the path for us. Number two, it's because the Christian life is not easy. And number three, it's because Jesus is the one who brings us all the way home. We look at him because he's the one who brings us home. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer of your faith or the trailblazer, but he's also the perfecter of your faith. Quite literally, you could say that the Greek words that are used here is that Jesus is the start and he's the finish. When you start the, the Christian life, Jesus is the one who fires the pistol. And when you get to the end of the Christian life, Jesus is the one waving the checkered flag. He's at the start, he's at the finish. He's the beginning, he's the end. And what this means to us is that he's the one who brings our faith to completion. And when we stumble and when we fall and when we feel like we're losing heart and we have to confess that we've stumbled again and we have to get up again, we can be assured of this. If we're his child, he's gonna bring us all the way home. He is the perfecter of our faith. Paul wrote that the one who's begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. And that is our hope. And so we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. When we, when we stumble and we fall, we look at, just like Peter, looking at the waves and the wind. When we stop looking at Jesus, we lose sight of the end. We lose sight of our hope. We need to see Jesus as the one who brings our faith to completion. We've seen here that we're following a path that he's already marked out. And what did that mean for him? We fix our eyes on Jesus, pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you realize what this means? It means that Jesus, of course, didn't just rise from the tomb, that he has ascended into heaven. Scripture says he's sitting on the very throne of God. That's why he could say, I'm, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. 
because his race has been run to completion. He could say, it is finished. And now he sits on a throne. And what's amazing is that, that if we're genuine followers of Jesus, we're heading down this same path. A path that, yes, begins now with some suffering where he says to us, take up your cross and follow me. But the end result is the same as it is for him. First the cross, then a crown. And if we are followers of Jesus, the promise of Scripture is that we literally will reign with Christ. That there's a time coming when we will be not just in his presence, not just as people gathered around him, but Scripture says that we will be heirs of God. We will inherit everything that God has. And it says that we are co-heirs with Jesus. Everything that is God's belongs to Jesus. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. How could it possibly be? It's the promise of Scripture that if we are his children, he's going to bring us all the way home. He is the completer of our faith. He's going to do this. We just need to keep our eyes on him. So as we come here this morning, do we have our eyes fixed on Jesus? Do we remember him in his suffering on the cross? He died there for us in our place as our substitute. Do we have our eyes on him rising from that tomb, conquering sin and death? Do we have our eyes on him seated in the heavenly places? It's exactly what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter three. That we should set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That is what we need to do today. And why do we need to do that? Because this is, uh, this is how we live the Christian life. We're following a savior who's already gone before us, who's already made it possible for us to, to take on this journey. He's marked out the path. He goes with us in our difficulties and he will bring us all the way home. So let's get our eyes fixed on him. As we close, I want us to do that. We've seen Jesus on the cross. We've seen him laid in a tomb. We've seen him rise from the grave. But I want us to think now of him glorified in eternity. And with the words of scripture from Revelation chapter five, I want the Lord to help us get our eyes fixed on him and his glory now and a future day when all of us will worship and praise him as described in these verses. Let me read these verses for us. And then we're gonna sing, a, I think, a song that we well know as a closing prayer. We're gonna sing it together, lift our voices, and sing to God and to the Lamb so that we can fix our eyes on him. Listen to these words. They sang a new song, sang, to Jesus, that is. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard 
every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen.